We are in the midst of a series. We are focusing in on uh, God's divine intervention that we have experienced in Jesus Christ. Uh, understanding that Christmas is a celebration of this divine intervention. It is a reminder that, that God became one of us, died for our sin, was raised on the third day, and is soon returning. All of that in a single celebration. Of course, it's, it's tied to Easter, as, as all of it is tied to the Word of God, but it gives us hope. It gives us hope that God has not abandoned us, God has not left us to our own powers and abilities to figure life out. God has come to give us life, to lead us through life, and to show us his holy way. I know that some of you are struggling. I found out this morning in the last 72 hours that three young people in our community have taken their own lives. Their families are today preparing for their funerals. If you are struggling, know that we are here to care for you. This is a safe place where you will be loved. We are a direct message on, on any social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can, you can direct message the church, you can direct message me. Your bulletin on the back, there's a phone number there. There's also an email address, info at lhbg.org. I will receive that email and it will be confidential. And we will do, I will do anything we can to help you. I want to know, I want you to know this is a place where you can belong. And you can belong before you believe. In other words, if you are not yet to hold to the faith claims that I'm gonna talk about today, we still want you to be a part of our community. We still want you to connect with us and to be a part of growing and learning in what the Bible says. In due time, you will have to make your decision and God will lead you. Don't go alone. Don't go alone. Don't be alone. Don't, don't allow yourself to be overwhelmed with loneliness. Know that there is a church family in this city that cares. There are many church families in this city that care, and we are one of them. And this is a place where you can find solace. We are right now in a season celebrating the fact that God divinely intervened in our lives. And it may very well be that the reason you're here today is that God is providing a divine intervention for you. For all of us who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, all of us who just received the Lord's Supper, we know that he is alive and we know that through the power of his Holy Spirit, he's gonna to speak to us today. Today, we're going to look at what Jesus accomplished with his coming, specifically how it is he was able to fulfill all of the law and what that has to do with our real life. Please know that this is not a, a, a theological lecture. This is not simply a Bible lesson. This is a sermon, I am preaching, I am exhorting you, encouraging you to not only believe these truths, but to live them, to live in light of what Jesus Christ has done. What's easy to do, what's really easy for Christians to do is, is to make the Christian life theoretical. The easiest thing to do is to make your life about you being happy and finding out how God will help make that happen. Please understand, if, if you are living for your happiness, you are living for a very small thing. And that pursuit will not end in your happiness. 
Strangely enough, the people who pursue their own personal happiness never find it on their own. Happiness, listen, happiness is a byproduct. Happiness is what happens when you're doing and pursuing something else. Jesus Christ calls us to pursue him, to pursue his life, to pursue what he can do, to pursue what he is doing in the world. And when we do that, we find our lives have meaning. What gives our lives meaning is living for something that is bigger and better than just us. And when we are pursuing what is best, there is a happiness in that. Many Christians have lost sight of that. Many churches lose sight of that. You know, I, I, I heard a, a story about an area on the West Coast um, where people were swimming and there were a large number of drownings that were taking place. And so a group of people formed a club, a lifeguard club, and they began to gather together to seek to save those who were drowning in the sea. Over time, they realized, you know, we need more training, so they built a building. They began to have weekly gatherings. They began to have classes on how rescue should happen, what lifeguarding is really about, what life is all about. Soon they became more interested in their gatherings and their classes than they did the lifeguarding and the pursuit of saving and rescuing. And over time, they began to get frustrated with the large numbers of people who were coming because the drownings began to increase and they were being criticized for their lack of effort. And they began to, the, those who were gathering in the lifeguard club, began to get angry with the people who were coming and who were enjoying and some who were drowning and some even who were drowning that were seeing that happen, they wanted to come and be a part of the club, but the club wouldn't accept them. And so there began this tension between the two. There, there was conflict between the two. Friends, this is the story of the church. Many churches begin, godly people get saved. They want to form together as God commands them. But unfortunately, many get to the place where they find the gatherings and the classes and the education, all that they want to pursue. Jesus saved us to join him on his mission. He did not save us to sit in seats. Do we sit in seats? Yes. There is a place for being equipped. There is a command to gather with the church and to be worshiped, but it doesn't end there. It begins there so that we can then go out into the world and obey the command of Jesus Christ. Jesus commands us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. I'm gonna come back to that point. It's the basis for our, our scripture today. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We are commanded to make disciples. Now to make disciples, we have to be disciples. Disciples are those who know, love, and obey Jesus. And what we see in our text today is what happens in the lives of those who accept what Christ has done and allow that reality to influence and define everything they do in their life. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Now that is going to be one of several texts we're going to look at this morning. So let me encourage you, if you didn't bring your Bible, to take the Pew Bible. Or if you have a smartphone, 
uh, the app that should be coming up on the screen uh, somewhere. Oh, it's here. Um, download the ESV app. This is the uh, Bible that we use. This is the app that I use for personal study uh, during the day and throughout the week. And you can use that this morning and it's a very easy way to access the scripture. Uh, again, everyone will need, I, I hope, uh, use of scriptures this morning as, as, we, uh, as we look at God's word together. Again, we're in Matthew chapter five, verse 17. Lily's gonna come read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word as she comes to read God's holy word. Come on up, sweet girl. Are you ready? All right, go for it. Read verse 17 for us. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Good job, sweet girl. If you would go ahead and be seated. So Jesus said all authority in heaven on earth had been given to him because he fulfilled what God planned and all that God commanded. Now, last week, if you weren't here, we did a study. We looked at the coming of Jesus through the lens of John the Baptist. John the Baptist being the last of the old covenant prophets. And we noticed how Jesus fulfilled all that those prophets had to say. Today, we want to look at the, the Old Testament law and how it is Jesus Christ has fulfilled all that God has commanded and what that has to do for our life today. We understand that the Bible, the Bible is not a collection of stories or sayings. The Bible is a single story. The Old and New Testament tell a single story. It's a story in four parts, creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. The Old Testament explains to us that God created all things in harmony. The Bible explains what went wrong with our sin and why the world is not as it should be. The Bible also tells us from the very day of the fall, Genesis 3.15, that there would be one who would come to redeem us from the evil one, that that, that one, that Messiah, would crush the head of the devil. And throughout the entire Old Testament in the prophets and the law, the promise was made that Jesus Christ would come and he would rescue us. The entire Bible is about Jesus Christ. It's about his rescue operation that God is now calling us to be a part of. We know that this world is not our home, that the restoration is to come. And we're gonna mention that today as well. But it's important to understand without Jesus Christ, life doesn't make sense. It is only in Christ that we can understand why the world is the way it is and what it is we can become to overcome all the challenges we face. We can do that because of what Jesus Christ has done. When we talk about the Old Testament law, when Jesus Christ says, I, I, have, I have not come to abolish the law, I have come to fulfill the law. To say the law is to speak of three things. The law in the Old Testament had three components. Important to understand these three components. There's the moral law. That moral law speaks to how human beings are to interact and to live in every generation, Old and New Testament. There's the moral law that, that we are still under today. There's the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law had to do specifically with the tabernacle and temple worship. Of course, there is no longer a tabernacle or temple worship. So we know that those laws no longer apply to our particular way of life. The third kind of law is what is called the theocratic law. 
And that law has to do specifically with Israel as a nation under the authority of God, not Israel as a nation today. The nation that was rescued out of Egypt, that was given the Ten Commandments, that nation, they were under the authority, under the, under the kingly care of God Almighty. And as God's chosen people, the Jews were to, they were to live in this theocratic law and there were certain ways that they were to dress and there were certain foods that they could and could not eat. And there were certain um, festivals and things that they would keep. Of course, we are not under the theocratic rule as, as a uh, Israelite nation. And so those laws do not directly apply to us, but it's important to recognize that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all those laws. How? Jesus Christ is God in flesh, and he kept the moral law perfectly. He did what nobody in this room or in this world could do or ever has done. God in flesh, Jesus Christ, lived a holy, perfect life, and he met the full demands of God's moral law. He also fulfilled the ceremonial law. In the Old Testament, there were animal sacrifices that took place. Lambs were sacrificed for the sins of the people. The people would lay their hand on the lamb that was being sacrificed for their sin. And they were basically saying, God, this animal is taking responsibility for my sin. And that, that lamb died to pay for their sin. Of course, we know that Jesus Christ is a lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. He has fulfilled the ceremonial law. There are no more lambs that are to die. He is the last lamb of God. The ceremonial law pointed to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that law. And the theocratic law has been, has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ because he now is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Go back to today and read Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse 10, and read of the glorious, of the glorious nature of our God. See, what these laws tell us and what the fulfillment of these laws tell us is first of all, what Jesus is. He is holy, 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 as Isaiah six says he is. Jesus Christ is the propitiation. I know that's a, that's, a, that's a word that you don't use every day. Try tomorrow to use it five times. Just see what happens. Just throw that one out at school. Uh, propitiation. You can't, I can't say it without spitting. Propitiation. So, don't, so stand away from people when you say it. It might, be, it might get you in trouble. Propitiation is the word we use to describe what Jesus did to satisfy the wrath of God. When Jesus died on the cross, the wrath of God for our sin was poured out on him and he satisfied the complete justice of God because the wages of sin is death. So Jesus Christ died. He now is reigning. He was raised on the third day and the theocratic law is now revealed because he's ruling in the hearts of everyone who believes in him. Those who believe in him, know him, love him, and obey him. And in that obedience, they are living out who it is God has called us to be as God's people. Again, understand, it's God's people. What does it mean to be God's people? It means that we have repented and believed the gospel. We are under the law of love revealed in Jesus Christ as we pursue and recover God's design. We think about this in terms of three circles. When we talk about the gospel, we're talking about Jesus Christ fulfilling the law. 
uh, of fulfilling the moral, ceremonial, and theocratic law of God. We know that the world is not as it should be as God designed it. We know that because of our sin, there's brokenness in this world. Our world is not as it should be, but God did not abandon us in this world. Instead, he came. He met the requirements of God and now we can repent. And that means that we can stop trusting in ourselves or any other worldly system. And instead we can trust and believe in Jesus Christ so that we can pursue and recover God's design and live under the law of love. That law is found in Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus said that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And he says, and that is the fulfillment of the entirety of the law. We can do that only in Christ alone. So when we trust in Jesus Christ and we choose to live for him and believe in him, we live a different life in the real world. And so there's three things those who believe can do. And I wanna encourage you to take note of this and to look at the scriptures with me that support these assertions. First of all, by Jesus's divine intervention, we can now enjoy a personal relationship with Jesus who is our savior. If you will turn quickly to Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews chapter two, it's in the New Testament. It's toward the end there. If you go to Revelation, you can take a left and, and work your way through some of the smaller letters, uh, uh, the epistles there, and, and go to Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 17. Hebrews 2, 17 says this, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Look at this, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I want you to notice what this text says about Jesus Christ in particular. He has come to be one of us so that we can be like him. Christmas is a celebration of this fact. God became one of us. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why did he do that? So that he could serve and act as the high priest of heaven and make the final sacrifice for our sin. Jesus now serves having paid for our sin as the mediator between us and God. Those of us who believe we now have access to the Father in prayer in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will have access to God when we die. In the name of Jesus, there is no other name by which, by which people can be saved. And so this Jesus has come, this son of God, this God in flesh, and he has satisfied the just demands of God by his propitiation. Again, remember, what does that mean? That means he died to pay for our sin. And because he's lived in this world, good news, he understands what it means to be tempted. Listen, Jesus understands what it is to have your family turn against you. Jesus understands what it, what it is to have your friends abandon you at your greatest moment of need. He knows what it is to have your enemies come and desire to see you die a miserable death on a cross. He knows what it is to be hated. He knows what it is to be abandoned. He knows what it is to be alone. He knows and he cares. He cares about you. And like no one else, he can understand you. And he loves you like no one else. And he wants a personal relationship with you. 
understand he can help us because he knows us personally, because he cares for us personally, because he knows what we're going through and he actually has a plan for it. Now, again, when I say us, I'm talking about those who've repented and believed in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about people who go to church. I'm not talking about church people. And let me tell you why. The devil goes to church every Sunday. Sitting in a church does not make you a Christian. A Christian is someone who has repented and believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Almost every week I hear from one of our staff or one of our leaders who said that they were sharing with someone about what Jesus Christ had done. And many times the response is, yeah, I need to get back into church. Yep, we need to get back into church. We need to be back in church. Now, don't get me wrong. Disciples of Jesus are commanded to gather with the local church, but being in a church will not make you a Christian. What gives us new life, what makes us a Christian is someone who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, there are three things that you can say about your life. What your life was like before Jesus, how you came to know Jesus Christ personally, and what Jesus Christ is currently doing in your life to transform you into his image. Think about that for a moment. Can you describe your life before you met Jesus Christ? Can you describe that moment when you came to know Jesus Christ? Can you talk about with confidence how Jesus Christ is at work in your life right now? Every disciple of Jesus Christ who has been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone has a story. It's a story of redemption. It's a testimony of what God has done and is doing in their life. And once we have that personal relationship with with Jesus, we now can live differently in the real world. See, we no longer call the shots. We're living in obedience to Jesus because all disciples of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus is someone who knows Jesus, loves Jesus, and obeys Jesus. If you're struggling today to obey Jesus, let me tell you why. It's because your love for him is diminished, if it exists at all. And the reason why your your love has diminished and maybe doesn't exist is because you've forgotten him or you genuinely don't know him. Let me make sure you understand what I'm talking about when I say no. I'm using the Greek term epigenosis. It means an interactive knowledge. It's not just a a knowledge of the mind. It's a knowledge, listen to this, of knowing and being known by another person. It speaks of intimacy, not physical intimacy, relational intimacy. To know God, it's an interactive knowing. He knows me, I know him. I am revealing myself to him, I'm giving myself to him, he's giving himself to me. To know him is to experience him. To experience him is to love him. And to love him is to obey him. If you're not obeying him, the question you need to be answering is, where's the love? Not where's the willpower, not where's the system that's gonna fix me, where's the love? And you know that the love will only be fueled by the interactive personal relationship of knowing and being known by him. And when we obey Jesus, it changes who we are. And so by Jesus' divine intervention, look at this, we can pursue an eternal purpose under Jesus, our King. Turn now with me to Luke 5.5. This is one of my favorite stories in the gospels. It's the story of how Jesus was preaching throughout the land. Massive crowds were following him. He comes to, to preach uh, where Peter and his, and his uh, friends and, and family were fishing. 
And Jesus makes a very unusual request of Peter in that moment. He says, Peter, I want you to go and cast your nets back out in the sea. Peter was tired. This isn't what he wanted to do. Look at Luke 5, 5. And Simon, that is Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but, and you might underline this, at your word, I will. At your word, I will. I will let down the nets. I love the story because here's, here's Peter. He's tired. He's fished all night. He's doing well just to stay, stay awake for the sermon like some of you today, right? And, and now he's fished all night and here comes this carpenter saying, oh, Peter, uh, go drop your nets out there. Don't you know, Peter was like, Jesus, I love you. You're awesome. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. It's not what he said. Look what he said, master. He said, you who are ruler of my life, I'm tired, been doing this all night, but at your word, I will. Here's what he knew. Jesus knows what is true. Jesus knows what is right. Jesus knows what is best. All disciples of Jesus Christ know that Jesus knows what is true, he knows what is right, and he knows what is best. And so you know what he did? He simply obeyed. There are lots of things that God has commanded us to do that not everybody wants to do. One of the first things we are to do when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord is to experience, listen to me, believer's baptism. There is a difference between believer's baptism and infant baptism. Infant baptism is something that happens to you. Believer's baptism is something you choose to do because you have chosen to believe and follow Jesus Christ. Now, there are plenty who say, well, I don't know if I need that. I don't really know if I feel like I need that. I don't know if that's really what, hey, if that mattered, I'd tell you right now, it doesn't. What matters is that Jesus has commanded it. Jesus has commanded that we be a part of the local church, that we have membership there, that we give financially there 10% plus, plus sacrificial offerings, that we serve that church. Jesus commands that we get into groups, that we gather for worship, but then we also gather in groups to discuss his word. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. You can look and, and you can take the, if you've got the ESV, you can do this right now. You can type, you can write in the word, one another. And you will find at least 84 times where we are commanded to love care for, look after one another in Christ. And that's always in a local church. Hey, I get it. I hear it all the time. You know, I don't, I don't really know if I want to be pastor. I don't really know if I, if I want to be. I don't know if I really have enough money. I, you know, I don't know if I really have enough time to be at church every Sunday. You know, we got other more important things going on. Hey, enough said. I get it. You don't love Jesus. I get it. Because see, if you loved him, you'd obey him. There wouldn't be a question. You would say, Master, at your word, I will. But as it is, there are many of you who sit here calmly and confidently 
that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ living in what you know is disobedience. Now, let me pause here and remind you again. Our obedience does not make us a Christian. What makes us a Christian is that we trust in Jesus Christ, that we know him and he knows us. And that knowledge creates love. So we love him. We know him and we love him. And because we love him, we obey him. Don't hear me saying this morning, oh, I need to, I need to build up enough self-will. I got to really work this out because I don't want God to be mad. If that's what you're hearing, that's not what I'm saying. Stop, stop. It's not what I'm saying. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches if you obey him, it's because you love him. If you don't obey him, it's because you don't love him. And the reason you don't love him is because maybe you don't know him. Or maybe you've put him so far away from you, you just don't care anymore. To know him is to love him, is to obey him. This is the call of the disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has, has intervened in our lives so that we can know him personally as king. Lastly, by Jesus' divine intervention, we can experience a faith family in Jesus, our brother. If you will now go with me to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse 16. Romans eight sixteen through 17 says this. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This text tells us plainly that, that when we repent and believe in Jesus Christ, we are filled with the Spirit of God. Look at that. The Spirit himself bears witness because he is alive in us and we are alive to him. He is now able to, through his word, speak to us. We've been adopted into God's eternal family that we are children of God. And we are made brothers of Jesus and fellow heirs of God's eternal kingdom. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Christ is now our brother with a provision that we choose to suffer with him. Now, why does it say that? I, I thought the Christian life was about making me happy. I thought the Christian life was about making my life easier, friends. The Christian life is about making life meaningful. The Christian life is about making life of what God made it to be. The Christian life is about pursuing something that's greater than us. You don't get happiness by pursuing happiness. Happiness is a byproduct. When we pursue Jesus Christ and obey his commands, one of the byproducts is happiness and hope and joy and peace. You don't get those things by pursuing them. You get them by pursuing Jesus Christ. And when we pursue Jesus Christ, there's a cost. But that cost is so small, so tiny and insignificant compared to what we gain. The apostle talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. 
God is calling us to live for what is eternal. He's calling us to give to what is eternal. He's calling us to be engaged in what is eternal and to be involved in making disciples in the rescue operation of Jesus Christ, not sitting around at club meetings, not going to classes, doing that, yes, so that we can go out, so we can join God in what, in what he's doing, so that on that great day, and by the way, the Bible describes the coming of Jesus Christ as a great day. Uh, again, uh, God's word. First uh, Peter chapter five, verse four says this. And when the chief shepherd appears, he, we will, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. These sacrifices now are preparing for us a crown of glory. And look what Revelation says that we're gonna do with this crown of glory. Revelation chapter four, beginning in verse nine. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, these are the angels, these living creatures, uh, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever. Look how they worship. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. To worship is to say, God, you are worthy. In heaven, those who have suffered and served sacrificially well will receive a crown of glory so that we are not empty-handed on the day on the day when he makes all things new, but we will be able to come and present something to him. Let me ask you, on the day of your death, on the day of Christ's return, will that be a great day for you? If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it will be the worst day of all eternity and the beginning of, of a billion days of pain and suffering. God has called you to a life that is meaningful, that, that has depth and strength and it's found only in him. Some of you need to receive that life today. And to do that, all you need to do is come get on your knees and ask Jesus to forgive you and to take your life. You don't need me. You don't need another person. All you need to do is talk directly to Jesus and he will save you. Some of you are God's children, but you've lost your love for him. You have love for a transient thing that is not worthy of your eternal soul and cannot hold its weight. And you need to come today and you need to tell the Lord that you're wrong, that you have loved something more than him and that you are committing to knowing him and loving him and obeying him no matter the cost. And we're praying for a revival this week. If you don't mind looking at your bulletin quickly. This week we are praying that God would move us to, to pursue the depth and, 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 and and a life that, that, that comes as we trust in the Holy Spirit and as we repent of sin. The goal is that we would not grieve the Holy Spirit. And so as we pray for revival today, come kneel before God and pray that God would do just that. Let's pray together. Father, we, we love you because you loved us and we love you, Lord Jesus, because of your sacrifice, because you have fulfilled the law and now we have freedom and we are able to live in you and we have access to you and we can serve you and our lives can have meaning because you are our king. Lord God, I pray for anyone today who needs to give up their old life to enter into your kingdom and to make you king, that they'll do that right now.
I pray for some who need to come and ask for help, for renewal, for strength, that they would love you and obey you in all things simply because you say to do it, that they will do it. And Lord, for those who need help today, they would just come and ask, ask you to help them. And Lord, as we pray for revival, please revive us. Let's stand together, come and pray as we sing together.